welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, she's an actress, writer, director, and producer. It's Jenny Paul. How are you doing today, Jenny? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. First thing we talk with our guests about is where are you from and what were you involved in growing up? Oh, I am from Dallas, Texas. Um, and uh, I am a Cowboys fan, don't kill me. Um, I, I grew up in Dallas and then I went to college in Boston. Um, and then I ended up in New York when I graduated school in Boston. Did you have any passions growing up or is anything like you enjoyed doing? Uh, I kind of was one of those kids that liked everything, even like to the detriment of my, you know, social circle. Um, I really liked theater and I really liked doing the, the AV kind of club that we had at the school. Um, but I certainly never thought I would end up doing that as a career. That was never something that crossed my mind, but I was also doing, I don't know, like the robotics team and the pre-med club and like all of these other things, because I just thought, all these things were super cool, which probably made me a super nerd, but I'm totally fine with that. Um, so yeah, so I was kind of into everything, a little bit of sports. I played volleyball and I did gymnastics and a little bit of, you know, like I said, robotics and then a little bit of theater. When you were trying out these different activities, was there always something that brought you to them or were you a type of person that was, I'm going to try anything and you never know what's going to happen from them? Probably that. <laughs> I don't think I had, had any real logic process. I kind of was like, oh, the International Club, that sounds cool. They'll probably give us money to like go eat good food. You know, like I just, I just kind of was like into anything that somebody was excited about. And then I would try it and if I hated it, I wouldn't stay. But you know, I kind of try everything once and you know, see how I like it. I think it's important that um, when people are younger that they try out all those different activities because Growing up, I was one of those types of people where I focused on something, and then when I was done with it, I threw it behind me, and I went to the next thing. But then when I got older, I kind of was like, okay, it's okay to branch out to multiple different things and do it at once. It kind of grows you um, in a skill set kind of way. You can multitask, or you can be good at certain different things. Would you say that you learned a lot about yourself growing up in those different activities? I mean, absolutely. I think I listened to a couple of your podcasts before and I heard you talking with somebody a little bit about like, I think I learned how to learn. And I think I learned how to focus, especially with sports. But I think, um, I think I learned how to sort of utilize, you know, sort of my intelligence set in a way, you know, if I want to apply it to something new, I absolutely could. I wasn't amazing at everything that that was definitely not the case. Some things were easier than others. But um I think when it came down to, you know, just trying everything was the thing to do. And there were so many opportunities being, you know, a kid that why wouldn't you and see what you kind of like and what you really don't. Did you have any motivations or someone that you looked up to um, growing up? Someone that you aspired to be like? Ha. Um, I don't know that I had anybody like super famous or anything like that. I kind of, you know, I was in love with Julie Andrews because I thought she, you know, hung the moon. And of course, so did my mom because, you know, <laughs> that was the right era for her. Um, and I think I really, honestly, I think I really kind of aspired to kind of be my dad. Um, my dad and I are a lot alike. I thought that growing up, I thought that he was just really good at everything. And he was mostly really good at 
sort of taking care of other people. And I thought that is something super valiant to me and something I really wanted to be able to do is, is put people at ease and help them through whatever they needed to be helped through. And so I actually ended up pre-med in college because my father was a doctor and that's how he did that. Um, and didn't finish pre-med because one day in my sophomore year, I called my dad and I said, um, how did you get through 12 years of this? And he said, I liked it. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the level of curse words on this podcast, but I do know that I was like, hmm. Um, so anyway, went to look for something else to do because I realized that what I was attracted to about what he did was taking care of people, not necessarily the science. Even though I liked science, I really did not love it. That was not my thing. So was that going to be your dream job was to be in the medical field in some way because you wanted to kind of follow in the footsteps of your father? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. My dad was like king of the neighborhood. We lived in a little suburb and everybody's favorite person was Dr. Paul. Like that's what it was. Um, and all of my teachers had him and they liked me for it. And I was like, okay, yeah, he's like me. I'm cool with that. Um, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve being liked at that point, but sure. Um, but no, I think that I really, at that point just wanted to, I, I was very attracted to, you know, finding ways to help people, you know, everything. So it made sense. And I probably, if I had seen it through, I would have ended up in the same profession as him, which is he's a, you know, general practitioner, internal medicine. So just, you know, the doctor that sees everybody for the cold and the physical and what and just, you know, makes them feel like they're cared for. You talked about being like liked by a lot of people because you were associated with him. Did you feel that pressure kind of way? Like, it's kind of like nerve wracking because what happens if I fail or I don't um, exceed expectations like your father? Yes, period, paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he was good at it and he was polished and he was filtered, he still is. You know, and, and he's really just that good. And I went, oh, God. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. My father and my dad was actually an EMT paramedic and a firefighter. And a lot of people were like, oh, are you going to be just like him? But when I started growing up, he kind of left that industry in a way. And he went into a whole different industry. And I'm like, okay. People are now saying, oh, you, are you going to now do what he's doing now? And he was doing like counter like granite countertops interior design stuff I'm like that's a wide range from going from that industry to that industry but I think with my dad um he kind of was like find what you're comfortable doing like you don't have to follow in the footsteps if you don't want to and I think that's kind of what pushed me to find those passions that I enjoyed when you were going through college and you kind of had that realization where I want to go in a different direction what different direction did you go in Oh, I think I didn't really go anywhere for a while. I sort of floundered. In my uh, freshman year, I had taken theater classes to sort of blow off steam. That was because I was taking my chem and my chem lab, and I was taking psychology, which was required for the major, and I was taking math. And I, and again, I wasn't ever bad at this stuff, but it was just never that exciting for me. So it was just kind of drudge. Mm -hmm. um, so I was taking theater to blow off steam, and I liked it a lot. And I kind of started seeing that my classmates took it seriously. Um, and I was, you know, at first a little judgy, maybe, and confused. You know, oh, this is a choice. Like, we can make this choice. I'm from Texas. You know, there's no theater scene to speak of. We do high school musicals, for sure. 
and I did a fair amount of those, but, um, but it wasn't really logical and it wasn't really offered as an option, really. I mean, I don't think my parents had a problem with it when I decided to go that route, mm -hmm. but it just, it was never really on the table. Um, and then, and then in the next couple of years, I started realizing that not only was I into it, which was a big deal since I wasn't into the science, uh, I was reasonably good at it. And I felt like there was sort of a niche there that I could fill um, pretty well. And I just got more and more excited about exploring the different aspects of it, especially when it came to acting um, and, and understanding and sort of embodying and dealing with the characters in a more meaty way. And when I graduated, I was, uh, I had sort of a mentor who went said, are you going to New York? And I went, what? You know, <laughs> so I said, why would I go to New York to act? Oh, yes. You know, and then of course, I, I again, grew up in Texas. 9-11 happened when I was a junior in high school. New York was not on the table, hmm. not on the table. And, you know, at that point, that wasn't the case anymore. And so I started visiting and kind of finding that I really did want to be there and ended up here. Were you wanting to pursue acting as a full-time job or did you kind of have to make the realization that I need to do something else to make money so I can try to fulfill that dream of acting in New York? Yes and yes. Um, I've had times where I've had, I've been paid more than full time to act and, you know, good salary, good money. I did a show called The Looming Tower. It was amazing. Uh, actually happened coincidentally to be about September 11th, not connected. Um, but, and uh, that was a really great job. And then I've had years where the money's really tight. So I started tutoring very, very early on. Uh, ACTs, SATs, and like I said, I was I was very good at math, even though I didn't really love it. So, but I really loved the teaching. I really loved the helping people. So that kind of made it all good. Um, and I've been actually tutoring ever since. So I I maintain my job and my sort of student tutoring, and then anything else that comes along is slush money, effectively. We talked about a little bit earlier that you wanted to kind of fulfill that helping others where you wanted to go into pre-med because your father helped people when you were taking on those roles as helping kids with ACTs as a tutor did you kind of get that fulfillment of helping others where it's kind of making a full circle in a way yes and I also think I get that a lot from the acting as well so the difference between the two I always say that tutoring is 90% unselfish you know the 10% is I get paid for it but it's helping somebody get more options for college, get you know into the school they want to, get more self-confidence, learn how to you know kind of functionally deal with the anxieties that come with it. And 10% is the, you know, I get paid. On the flip side of that is the acting and in the producing in these days, where it's 10% unselfish, but it's the best unselfish that you've ever experienced in your whole life. So when you, when you make that connection with an audience member or somebody that realizes in that moment, however small, that they're not alone, that's the moment that, that, we, that we live for as actors is when somebody hits that moment of empathy and goes, I relate, I'm that, that's me, I get it. And being able to do that for somebody as an actor is, is the, most un, you know, the most unselfish, generous thing you can do. That being said, 90% of acting is getting paid, trying to find ways to get paid, 
getting more work so that you can get the better work. So it's, I always find it's a nice like symbiotic thing where, you know, one of them is super unselfish and it really fulfills me in that way. And the other one gives me that little extra, like I'm doing something really, really good and really, really uh, important that meshes with sort of my, my sensibility of what I want to do with my life. For each of the jobs, not in the acting side, but when you were doing the side parts, what did you learn about yourself after each job you took? Uh, on the tutoring side or the, the tutoring side? Um, the tutor did you focus just on a certain skill set that you wanted to grow or did you kind of just, just try it out and then you develop something over time? Um, I, at first I was sort of just in a panic to find a way to get good at it very quickly because I wanted to make sure that I was giving my students at least as much as somebody else was. Mm -hmm. Um, so for a while it was just like, okay, I got to learn everything, everything I could possibly know and huge learning curve. And then after a little while, I realized that actually my, my strength and, and I teach students all across all different, you know, socioeconomic standards and gender ages and gender identity um, anxiety levels, uh, um, uh, IEPs, which is the, you know, in New York anyway, I think it's this way for everybody, but it's when they, you have a living disability. Um, but I really, really specialize and appreciate working with the kids that are a little anxious mm -hmm. and it's actually standing in the way of their success because that's kind of who I was in high school as a tester is I really just wanted to please everybody, my father, my mother, my teachers, I really desperately just wanted to get it right. And that wanting to get it right really stood in the way of me actually doing the best I could do because it was making me panic. It was making me anxious. So um, those are the types of students that I really like to take on is because I feel like not only can we get them a good score on the test and we can get them rolling for their colleges, but they can take that and, and, and move it forward into their lives in a way that I could have really used when I was in high school. Talk about the mindset that you have when you're tutoring a student. Do you kind of like, if they're going through a tough time learning something, does it affect how you're able to approach certain situations or you try to use any way to keep them motivated and positive and keep going and trying and don't give up? Oh, no, we never. I mean, it's all kind of nuanced at this point because I've, you know, had so many kids with so many different issues that it doesn't take me very long to go, oh, this is what this is. Um, but really it's the biggest thing is making them feel comfortable from minute one, because if they start on the level of feeling comfortable, they're going to end on a level of feeling comfortable. So you can handle this. You've learned everything you need to know in school. This is just about learning the tricks and tips and getting yourself in a place where you can, you know, logically and soundly without having too much freak out, um, take a test and, you know, give yourself the best shot you have when you take the test. So it's really about, you know, back to what you were, we were talking about before, it's really about making people feel good. It's really about putting people at ease immediately, the faster the better. A lot of times I get kids that have seen another tutor, it didn't go well, that's much harder. And the reason is, is because they're already, you're already taking a test with their shoulders up at their ears and they're, you know, fist clenched and they think that it's, you know, that they're going to not go to college and not have a life and not get a job and not have, you know, all the rabbit hole not have babies, not have grandkids, and then dial up. Like, that's what every student thinks. <laughs> the domino effect, because when you're thinking something bad, it's like, oh, if I'm not going to do this. Because it's, it's kind of you see with kids in high school. And I know for my situation, I didn't have that pressure, but 
there's some kids where they're like, you have to get all A's. You have to get the, a, what, ACT is, I think, a 36 is the high school. 36, that's right. It's been so long since I've taken it. So <laughs> I was me, like, me too. Once I got into college, I'm like, I'm done with it. But they yep. get so much pressure and the expectations from their parents where it's kind of like I feel bad for the kid because they shouldn't have that pressure on them. They should be able to have that confidence and enjoy the experience because then they go into college and then it's a whole new experience and then they have more pressure and then they get out into the real world. <laughs> they shouldn't have that stress in a way, I would say. And it sounds like you're taking an approach where it's all about the person and you want them to feel comfortable and show them that they have the confidence to do well on those tests. Yes. Yes, and that actually directly translates to the acting and the, and the other stuff as well is that if I do my job well enough, it's a different way of approaching and it's a different job on my behalf, but if I do my job well enough, they're comfortable. So they can think to themselves, oh God, I, I, I empathize with that. Oh my God, I've been there. And it's, it's, it's a different way. It's a different way at making somebody comfortable. But if you, if you embody a role and you're naturalistic enough and you're, and you're, you've done all of your work, um, they can go, they can just sit back and relax and enjoy the fact that they're experiencing something that, that is within their believability and they can actually think to themselves, you know, I associate with this and I, 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 I get this feeling. I feel this. I think you brought up a great point where a lot of people and when we all network and connect through different industries, we all can take what we are going through and kind of see the similarity in a way, even though we're doing different things like with sports teams, you're working as a team. If you don't work as a team, you can't win. But it's the same way like with um, working on a TV show, you all have to work well together to produce a great product. In a business world, you have to work all together to produce a great result or a great product. So it's kind of like, I think for those kids, if they're hearing your side and like your stories and what you've gone through, they can relate and they can understand and they will be more accepted of the situation that they're going through. Absolutely. So talk about um, the acting side. What was like the first few roles that you went after? So when I was in college, that same mentor was on a long running show that um, most people know from the 70s called Knott's Landing. Um, she was a regular on that show. And um, basically, she was kind of saying, you know, are you going to go to New York? And I was saying, uh, what? So what happened is just to kind of get my feet wet, I started going to New York to audition on the weekend. So what I would do is I would, I would in Boston, I would take the Fung Law bus, which I don't know if you've ever done that scariest bus ever ten dollars <laughs> chinatown to chinatown regularly we would pass another bus that was on fire or broken down or something horrifying but of course i you know needed to only pay 10 bucks for a bus so that's what happened and um and so i would go to new york on the weekend and i would basically take as many auditions as i could find in a weekend so whether that was you know looking on in the trades or whatever i basically would you know, either stay with a friend or a couple of relatives that live in the kind of the burbs in North Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I would stay and I would just run around and take as many auditions as I could, half for practice, half hoping to book something. And, um, and that's what I was doing the spring semester of my senior year when I wasn't performing or, you know, finishing class. 
So the first show that I booked in New York Metroplex, not in New York City, uh, was in Wayne, New Jersey. And it was Funny Girl, um, which is a musical about Fanny Bryce, if anybody doesn't know what that show is. And I had actually done the musical in high school. So I already knew the role of the mother. I did not play Fanny Bryce. I played the mother, which is the second lead in the show. Um, But, you know, high school is high school. So I went to audition for Fanny's understudy um, in Wayne. And I went in and I sang for Fanny. And um, they had already hired their Fanny, who was somebody who had won a Tony um, in 1985, actually. Um, Good story coming. Um, She was, she was the guest, you know, the guest Fanny Bryce. And so I came in to audition for her understudy. And when I was leaving, I had already changed clothes. I came in like a skirt and, you know, like a nice audition outfit. I had already changed in their, you know, in their uh, hallway. They called me back in and they said, we saw that you played the mother on your resume. I said, yeah, I played the mother. And they said, come back in, read for the mother. And I went, what? Okay. (laughs) Oh, what? Um, And I read for the mother and they cast me as the mother. So this was... Yeah, it was kind of insane, but it was a big proscenium stage and they were, you know, their, their goal wasn't to, to do like a necessarily a realistic version. It was to do this big concert for the woman that had won a Tony. So it was, a you know, they were doing a big fundraiser concert where they were going to put the musical on, but it was of essence to them that it was so perfect, I guess. I'm not sure. And they, well, we'll do makeup and we'll do costumes and whatever. So anyway... I got my first job in New York playing the mother of somebody who won a Tony the year I was born. That is my, that is my welcome to New York story. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that and then actually ended up auditioning for another, that same role again at Westchester Broadway Theater. I didn't get it this time, which I was a little bit like, okay, that makes more sense. But they brought me in for that because they had, there were same people that had worked on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman that booked that actually looked like she couldn't play the mother. Um, but um, so I did that. And then while I was rehearsing that, I booked another little show off, off Broadway in the village called Line, which anybody that's been around New York long, long enough to know, it's like the, it's like the little show that could at a little theater that could, and then just sort of started booking, you know, as much as I could after that. So that's kind of how I got my start and started tooting pretty much right away because the money's okay at best in the theater and I started needing to tutor less when I started doing film and TV. Was your goal to try to not shoot for the stars with big productions or big theaters and try to get yourself in the mix and try smaller theaters to get roles so you can build that resume up? Yes I mean the truth of the matter is is I you can't get those big auditions you just can't get them Mm -hmm. like you either have to have an agent that puts you in for it when you're when you're first starting. You either have to have an agent that's just really amazing, or somebody has to see you and grab you out of a pile, or you go to something that's called an EPA, which is a, an equity principal audition, which is the union's auditions, but they prioritize people in the union. So if you're not in the union, you can put yourself on a long waiting list and maybe get seen at the end of the day, but mostly not, actually. Mostly those people sit around all day and they don't get seen. So that's the only way to do it unless you have some sort of in or unless, you know, your aunt is an agent or, you know, you have to just start going and then start getting to know people. So they call you in 
so you don't have to wait in the big line for the random audition. And that's sort of how it goes. Talk about the mindset of when you're going to auditions and you don't get the part. Does it affect you in a way for that second, but then you're like on to the next and you're focusing on the next path? Yeah, I mean, the assumption is, you know, I do hundreds of these a year at this point. So the assumption is, is that you're not going to get it, but you could, and you, and I have, and I have, and I have, and I have. So it's the idea of you go in, you give it your best, you tr treat it like it's a little mini piece of art, you know, don't treat it like it's a nothing because then you definitely won't get it. Um, you, t you treat it like you get to perform for a random casting director, random director, random whatever, uh, for five minutes and you have their attention. So you do the best you can to, to imbue those five minutes with what you have to give. And it's your, your voice, your personality, your take on it, whatever it's going to be. And you leave it out there and you hope it goes well. And most of the time it does go well, especially if you're, you know, a professional. And then what they're looking at is they're looking at, do they want to hire somebody that's a little older, a little younger, different color, different, you know, different feel, different vibe, different whatever. So you're looking to do you at your best. And if you do you at your best and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, you'll book. It's just a numbers game at that point. But if you're not bringing your best, then you're never going to, you know, that you're never going to be able to compete because there's so many people that want to do this and do this well. Yeah, it sounds like it's just like any game show or like competition show. It's like everyone's looking for that one part and you kind of have to outdo the next person in line in a way. And that's like, it's almost like going for a job offer. Like you don't know what they do or what kind of impact they made. So you kind of just have to go in at 100% and you have to just go for it. And it kind of goes with self-confidence in a way that we talked about on the show you got to be confident that you're going to be able to get that part and you have to show that them as the casting director that you're confident in what you're doing because then they will know that you can do it. Well, it's, it's, a, it's equivalent to, I mean, if you're trained and you know what you're doing and, you know, assuming you're optimizing your situation and you're halfway decent at this, um, it's kind of like rolling a dice a whole bunch of times. Eventually you're going to throw, you know, the, you're going to throw, if you're playing craps, eventually you're going to throw the double two because the odds just work that way. So you got to play the odds and you got to play the game in order to get the job. And that two is really rare, but it does happen. And so once you're fully, you know, pardon my pun, but fully loaded, like you just have to do your thing. And, you know, you keep doing it and you do it to the best of your ability and you don't cut corners and you make sure that everything that you need within the realm of, you know, what you know is, is, is good. And then you just start hustling and, uh, you know, every, I don't want to say this for real, but maybe every 20th job ends up in your lap. And it, what you're right, it's the same as, as applying for a job. Some, somebody's going to get that job, but guess what? That doesn't mean that you weren't qualified for it. It just meant they went with somebody else. I know it's one of those things where everyone asks that question, why didn't they pick me? And it's like, it's that mental game. But you, the funny yep. you mentioned about the rolling of dice, knowing me, I probably would not get double twos. I'd be doing all different numbers knowing my luck. <laughs> well, you would, but it would take a long time to make sure that you, you know. Three hours it'd probably take. Me. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Like, but that's it, is that you, you get used to it and there, there is an odds element, but at the same point, 
if you're fighting with the best of them, that's going to be true. And it's that the odds only get better when you're doing good work. To talk about the transition to film and TV, what kind of roles were you going for or what roles did you get in those situations? Um, so what I kind of found is I, early on, I was booking a lot of musicals um, because I sing and, and that's what I kind of knew and that's where I ended up. And I remember I was in callbacks for the producer's national tour. Also for another old lady, which is hilarious. Like, you know, I don't know if you ever see the producers, but they have a bunch of chorus of little old ladies. So I was in like for little old lady three or something anyway. So, but what was, I was finding with musicals in general is that they didn't have a lot of um, parts written for people, you know, females in their twenties, unless they were dancers and I'm not a dancer. Um, I dance. Okay. But it's not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not that kind of triple threat. So I sing well and I act well. Uh, but dancing is, you know, I, I get it done, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's not to be, uh, you know, applauded. So, so I realized that if I wanted to stick around in acting land, I really needed to find something else to kind of, you know, crawl my way into for a while, at least until I was old enough to play the roles that I kept getting called in for, but also just that are singing and, and acting without dancing. So, um, so I started doing a lot of straight plays, really kind of serious stuff, actually, which I weirdly liked more. Um, I went from doing musical comedy to uh, kind of classic, you know, well, modern classic plays like Proof and other desert cities. Um, and uh, I did one called The Two Rooms, all of really dark shows. And I was playing the the lead character in them each, you know, that they, each of them kind of, well, the third, the first two, they wrap around that character. The third one, she's a supporting character. So, but these characters had a lot of, a lot more depth written into the, the script than the musicals did. The musicals, you kind of have to construct your own mm -hmm. sense of who the character is. And then, you know, and the director helps you, you know, with, with figuring out what that looks like in terms of their show. And that's the same thing with these straight plays as well, but there's a lot more available to you resource, resource wise in the play. Um, so I did a lot of that regionally and a little bit of that in town. And then um, I decided to produce a web series uh, with a couple of other women in 2014, where web series were just becoming a thing. And, I, you know, that was a way for actors to kind of get seen. And it was exciting. So I produced a web series and I played um, the main character, Janie. And she had a sister and a mom that were kind of wackadoodle. And that was it was a sitcom and it was fun. It's called That Reminds Me. Um, and I pulled in a good friend of mine who was a really, really strong comedy writer to, to write it. And we produced that show and um, it went really well, actually. Um, it, it, the thing about web series and finding this out more and more, you know, is it's hard to monetize. It's hard to get somebody to help you pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's hard to kind of keep it going because film really does cost an arm and a leg to produce. And if you want people to be able to feed themselves, you have to find the money. So we did that and I actually got my first manager and the manager that I'm still with um, from that. So she saw me in that show and, and asked if she, if, if she could represent me. And she's still my manager and she's the manager that got me into audition for Jessica Jones, which I did and Blooming Tower which I did um, with Jeff Daniels and film and TV to me, 
has always felt like a slightly better fit. It's not that I don't love theater. Theater is wonderful. I'm just kind of more of a naturalistic actor. And so where theater requires that you bring a lot of extra energy to a moment, film and TV almost requires the exact opposite where energy is required, but it's, it's more of like a, an intense focused energy and it's more of a replication of what real life might look like where theater really requires you to, you know, play to the back of the house. So I just happen to like it a little bit more, but, um, but that's kind of how I fell into it is that my manager started setting me out, you know, and I started going on auditions because I had an, you know, she effectively is a manager and an agent are not the same thing, but they work the same way in terms of getting you auditions. So that's how I ended up in it because she had, a, that was her specialty. And I just started going out a lot and, and booking. Are you waiting for that one kind of job or role in a production that kind of brings a mainstream role or are you fine doing whatever you can get nowadays? I mean, I kind of think that's, you know, my, my most recent show, Adulting with Jane, is kind of as mainstream as I've ever been, mm-hmm. where I play the, the sort of straight man in a comedy, um, where I, my character goes through drama, but it's effectively a comedy. So I think part of that has been that New York City houses productions that are predominantly dramas. There's a few comedies that come out of New York, but it's not as common. Uh, most of the sitcoms, you know, the big ones, Modern Family, the stuff that's NBC, ABC, not everything, but most of it's in LA. So if you want to work in film and TV in New York, drama is really where it's at, unless you're a stand-up comedian, which is different because the stand-up, the stand-up comedy scene is here. And if you want to do SNL sketch characters, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I find that there's not a lot of, as you know, mainstream drama for sure, mainstream comedy, not as much um, around to audition for. Um, but I kind of, I mean, you know, I do, at this point, I do kind of half and half. I half create my own work and I half audition and, and participate in other projects that I think are worthwhile. Have you thought about making that move to California, go from one coast to the other? Or are, were you like, I don't want to take that risk, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now? Um, it's this thing of it's six of one half a dozen to the other in a lot of ways because I don't necessarily want to only be a comedic actress Mm -hmm. so even though that's where my roots were and that's where I tend to end up um like I said my biggest job to date was Looming Tower there's nothing funny about that show (laughs) nothing at all so I you know I think I think if I were to move to LA, it would just be another set of choices, I guess. So no, I think, I mean, at least for the foreseeable future, I think I'm here. Also, I'm married. My husband's here. He teaches in the school system. His mom's here. His friends are here. My friends are here. I've been here 14 years. So, you know, it's uh, maybe. And of course, if I got a job that took me to LA, I would go, I would take it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and unless it was a seven-year job, in which case I would have a very serious conversation with my husband. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if it was a few months, I, I've done that many times where I've just gone to LA for a few months and, and done something and come back. You, uh, you yeah. talked about adulting with Jane. I actually watched some of your episodes and the most reason one I can remember is you were fixing a tire on your... 
and I'm watching this and I'm like, this is hilarious. But it's kind of like <laughs> real world approach to like certain tasks that people do, but in a comedy way. Cause you just uh-huh. you start singing a song about changing the tire. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna get this stuck in my head. And then I'm gonna, Absolutely. I'm gonna have that moment where I'm out in the in my car and I'm gonna have to change the tire and be like, hold on, what's that song I was just listening to about it? Yes. Yes, win. <laughs> <laughs> so talk I, about working on that show. What how did it come upon? Um and what have you enjoyed about doing it? So I think, you know, if you're, if you've hung around long enough to hear the rest of this, this is all for me, it's all about bridging the helping people and the acting stuff. So here we are, you know, this is something that's been in the back of my head for a long time. I think I'm finding that we're actually kind of carving out this kind of space of uh, helpful entertainment that's also funny. Um, because I think people like their entertainment and I think they like their DIY videos, but I don't think many times they kind of come together unless you're, you've got like a nice unscripted reality show where they're just following people that are, you know, wise at something around. So this is actually something that I felt like is missing from, from the ether is a narrative story told, you know, fictionalized story told that you actually like take something of value from. Other than, of course, a smile, which is very much a value. But so that's the concept: is that um, is that bringing bridging the narrative and the you know the character and the the benefit that we get as writers and producers from being able to script um, with stuff that people genuinely want to know how to do that maybe they're not going to think to say oh, how do I change a tire? They're just going to say I can't change a tire. And I'm not going to change a tire because I'm going to die and, you know, not get married and not have kids and die alone. Like it's the same, it's the same trajectory as the high schooler. It's, we think, we think as, you know, young adults that if we try to do something that we don't know how to do and fail at it, that we're going to be judged and the, you know, the world's going to end. I mean, the world might end, but you get the point. So that's kind of what it is, is, is that to me, this was a major thought for me for a long time of just demystifying stuff that we don't know how to do, just kind of putting it in a context that it feels doable and changing a tire. I know for me was number one, the idea that I would change a tire and do it wrong and then roll it, roll off and then kill somebody and like, Oh my God, rabbit hole. But you know, if, if I kind of know the basics, then maybe I won't do it for myself the first time. But if I know what I'm doing, then I might do it for myself the second time. And I think that, you know, goes across a whole bunch of different things. You know, we talk about just sewing. Sewing is something that, um, you know, young adults, some of us totally know how to do. We've known how to do it since we were 10 because our moms sew or whatever. And some of us just never learned. And so the button pops off the shirt and we're off to H&M. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where like, the, you know, our parents' logic would be, um, okay, you know, like, maybe you could sew it back on? That's not so hard. And the rest of it, no, 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 I don't, I can't do that. So I think that's where it came from is sort of this, this fundamental, I want to help people meeting the thing that I love to do the best, which is make people feel like they aren't alone, you know, with the acting stuff. So I think that's where it came from. And, um, I think nowadays, this generation, 
and I know I'm guilty of this. It's like, if I don't know how to do something, the first thing I do is go on my phone, search on YouTube or on Google, and I try to learn how to do it. But I think after each generation that goes on, it's like they have like a quick dial for someone. Like, for, especially for the car, it's like, do you have AAA? They can come and do it for you. But I was told by, I know my dad, he kind of was like always trying to get me involved in car stuff. Like how to change a brake pad, how to change a tire. And I would get fresh. I'm like, why do I need to know this? Why, I, ha I have like insurance or something. And I knew that was, it's right there. I want someone else to do it instead of me taking the time to learn how to do it so that I'm able to like teach people in the future how to do it. I can't, I still don't remember how to change a tire, but that's just, <laughs> that's just me. I mean, I haven't done it in so long, but I know it's going to happen and then I will be ready. Um, and now I'm going to go practice changing a tire after this. Right. It's, it's, it's going to happen. So I just have to share with you just because it's sitting right here. We did our premiere, and we uh, we practiced changing a tire. That's oh. very exciting. <laughs> we practiced at the premiere. It's These the, are lug nuts. It's lug the nuts. drawing right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it's I think it's important. Maybe you know you can still decide you don't want to do that. Like you know there are certain things you're never going to want to do. You can still decide you don't want to go to medical school. But at the same point you could decide you do want to do it or you can decide, you know what, I'd rather spend the money on this thing, but let me make, let me make a call that actually makes sense with some knowledge. Yep. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself looking at your career so far? I think, I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I would say one of the things is people see you, the way that you project for the most part. I think I spent a lot of time being scared of what, what this was going to be or what that was going to be, or, you know, feeling like people would judge me poorly or, you know, if I do something and I do this huge show and it doesn't, you know, does, it works, but it doesn't go anywhere, or, you know, whatever those things are, the kind of chatter in your head about expectations and, you know, ethos and other people, all of that. I think it's kind of, meshed you know it's kind of mushed down to a dull roar as as compared to you know when I was having existential crises about whether or not acting was a real choice I think of course it is you know there are people out there that make living acting there are people out there that make a living producing tutoring whatever the things are and I think that's been the biggest thing is that mostly that kind of chatter not entirely but mostly that chatter is in your head you know, and if you can separate the anxiety that your own brain is producing for you and go, you know, okay, you can stay there for a while and I'm just going to go and produce an active tutor. Like that's what we're going to do. So I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, if you kind of just decide to do something confidently, the confidence will catch up and eventually you will be really good at the thing. And eventually you will have confidence in the thing and you know, not so much fake it till you make it, but at least give yourself the benefit of the doubt. That's kind of my thought. We did an episode on positive thinking and that whole experience where if you have the negative thoughts going in your head, your mind is just going to continue only thinking that. It's going to any, it's going to block out anything positive. And I've learned over my journey where you kind of just have to go for it. 
like you kind of take those risks in a way. Like if you're going to tell yourself you're going to go do this, you're going to go do this. You can't be hesitant in a way because people may think that you will regret it one day if you didn't try it. So like this came upon, I've always had the dream of doing this, like this podcast and show, but I was always like, I don't think it's the right time. I don't think I'm ready for it. But then when that time came, it's like, okay, I'm doing this. And I put anything I do, I put 150% at it. I'm not going to go quietly. Like I'm going to put it out there and probably my friends get mad because I always talk about, but it shows the passion that we have. And like for you, if you're doing all this stuff and you're passionate about it, you're going to enjoy doing it. You're going to have that confidence when you're going and doing a performance or you're producing, directing, writing for all your different shows. Yeah, and I think, I think the concept of putting your feet first, it, it, especially if your head likes to talk, yeah. you know, just like start walking and then let your head sort of catch up because it's never, it's, it's wired. And I teach this to my ACT and my SAT kids even more than I talk about it anywhere else is that you're, you're wired to run away from lions. Like that is what you're wired to do. So your brain is going to, it's going to engage the way it's going to engage and you can, you know, to a degree you can control it to a degree. You can't, if, especially if there's something chemically going on, but we're, we're living in a time that's different than how we're evolutionary meant to be. So if you can notice when your body is doing the thing of like tightness in the chest, or if you're, if your brain, if your brain is running a thousand miles per hour and actually do some of those things that they talk about in, in the different, you know, people that are more, you know, expert at this than me, but wash your face with water, take the deep breaths, do the triangle breathing, do the, you know, to the meditation, whatever it is you need to remind your body that you're not getting chased by a lion mm -hmm. and then just keep going yeah. and do it again, you know, and, and keep doing it until you don't have to remind your body that you're not being chased by a lion. You're just not being chased by a lion. And I'd say that about stage fright. I say that about test anxiety. It's all of the things it's, doing the things to basically, you know, doing the physiological things, the water, the breathing, whatever you need to get your body back to where it's supposed to go. And then training your body to live in the non, uh, the non-stressed space while you're doing the thing. And then eventually it just knows to do that. I totally agree with that. What is the future? What does the future look like for you professionally and personally? Oh, well, professionally, I, what I'd love to see happen, and, and one of the cool things about adulting with Jane, and, and I've been trying to figure out a, a way to integrate this for a while, but like I said, web series and things like that are very hard to monetize. It's really hard to get, make the money get people paid. So what we've actually done with our show is that we've integrated um, shoppable product placement. So it's the same product placement you would see in another episode or, you know, another episode of TV, the Pepsi can or whatever stuff that's not really um, taking away from your experience. But what we can do through our shows, you actually can click on the thing. You can, uh, you can click on the Pepsi can and then shop the Pepsi if you want, sure. or you could just watch the show. So, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying, we're starting out by using the actual tools like the tire changing kit, that sort of thing where you can click it. And if you want to buy the tire changing kit, what we're doing on our end is we're vetting the best ones and picking the one that we think is going to be the best choice for the average young adult person that wants to chuck it in their trunk. 
and putting it there. Um, but what I would like to do, and if, if I can, is kind of grow this idea of this educational comedy stuff and do, you know, adulting with Dick, although I'm sure we couldn't call it that. But you know what I mean? Or like, you know, parenting with Jane or, you know, things where there are other areas that aren't just this, that people would love a little bit of extra confidence doing that maybe they'd be happier to, instead of watching a 15 minute YouTube video, getting a little sense of what it is so that they can not feel panicked the next time something like that happens. They might still have to look up that how-to video to get the specifics, but at least they can have a sense that it's not that terrifying. Um, and that, and, you know, I think for me personally, it's, you know, if I'm, if I'm lucky enough, Jeremy and I would like to try to, you know, have a family at some point. And so I would love to be able to do this type of thing for other new moms. If, like I said, if I'm so lucky, you know, if I'm lucky to bring those things, I'm already, you know, queuing up like all the fears I have thinking about trying to maybe do this, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh God, you know, what happens if I, do I need things to do that with? Do I not need things? Do I need a book? Do I not need a book? <laughs> like it's all, it's already there and we're not even, you know, we're not even there yet. <laughs> so the idea of like, it's already there. My sister who has her, had her already had her first child and she's two and a half. It's constant. It's do I breastfeed? Do I not breastfeed? Do I, you know, you know, talking about all these different conversations and there's a whole world of mommy, you know, mommy crazy effectively where, you know, trying to make heads or tails, make the best decisions for your family, for your kid. So I just think there's so many of these things in life that could help, you know, we could do a, a sitcom about that and then, you know, do something similar where we're integrating really high quality products as a way to get, you know, people, you know, to pay for the art if then, you know, if we're never going to end up on a network or something, or we might end up on a network, who knows, like Netflix already has interactive stuff in, in a way, not this, but stuff, you know, I think Amazon would be a great fit for our product because we're not only selling, you know, like they could just sell within themselves. You can like, you know, they, you, in Amazon just can just like sell their own stuff, you know, like, so, you know, in, in just getting people to pay attention to advertising a little more than they normally would because it's integrated, um, which is good, but also just to be able to create more things that'll help more people. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing is if we're helping, I'm there. If it stops being useful, then we'll move, I'll move on to something else. Based off of your journey and someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome their obstacles accomplish their goals and overcome challenges to rise to their challenge? I mean, I'll, uh, I'll start with the get out of your own way and put your feet in front of you just because it's always you that's in your own way. It's, it's never not. Um, also, I found that to a degree, it's not entirely true, but it's large, in large part true. Confidence comes from doing something successfully. So, if you have that impulse and, you know, to not to call you out, but to call all of us out to say, dad, I don't need to learn how to change a tire because somebody can do that for me. Think twice. And the reason to think twice is because once you change that tire, that's a little dose of like video game style confidence that you get. You get that point. You get that sim point, whatever that thing is for you. Of like, of like feeling good about yourself, accomplished, 
and realizing that something that you did came to fruition that's both practical and useful, the more of those things that happen in your lifetime, the more confident you are in that, but also in just everything. So if you're, if you spend all of your time finding reasons not to do something, you're going to spend all of your time finding reasons not to do something. And if you don't, if you flip that and you say, you know, I'm just going to go do the thing. And if I hate it, cool. I don't have to do it again. Um, that's really what it is. I think is that, you get confidence from actively doing something and watching those things succeed. So actively do things to watch them succeed and enjoy it. Yeah, that's perfect because a lot of people, I think it goes, I kind of learned this between like street smart and book smart. I think I got better doing the, the task or the challenge than just reading about and how to do it. I think I'm always one of those people that I got to do it to get better. Um, and I have to learn from those mistakes. And that's how I get better at that task. So I'm one of those people like, can I try it? Not just don't tell me about it. <laughs> this is how you do it. Well, no, let me, can I do it instead? But yeah, no, I totally agree with your statement. Your, the tips that you gave. Jenny, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I enjoyed talking to you about your rise to the challenge. I think we all have learned so much about your experience. And we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks. It was so nice to be here. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Make sure you subscribe and follow on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episodes and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.